Welcome to the My Broadband channel. My name is Zaki Anastasiu. Welcome to the series, What's Next? And uh, we're going to be finding out what's next, how businesses are coping in this incredible world that we're living in today, very challenging world that we're living in today. When you look at the uh, coronavirus around the world and how it's impacted everyone, business leaders, technology, any business, everyone is affected. So it's a great pleasure to welcome the Chief Executive Officer of EOH, Stephen von Koller, who is uh, joining us now by video. Stephen, how are you doing it's good to see you ah, Akina I'm doing very well thanks um, I'd like to get out at some point but um, it's been very productive and uh, as I said on one of my interviews it was nice after my fairly hectic last 18 months to re reacquaint myself with my wife and family so uh, that's been positive yeah so I mean tell me how, how has your life changed as the chief executive officer of one of the biggest technology services companies in the country um, lockdown must have brought its own challenges um, how have you adapted personally to lockdown running a company the size of EOH yeah there was a, a few things I mean the the most important thing in these situations is to communicate so you can't communicate enough so uh, you would have seen, um, you know, we put out uh, um, a third quarter statement, profit statement. That's unusual for South Africa, but I thought in these times was very important. Yeah. And you saw the um, um, reaction to it with the share price doubling. Um, yes. I've also got, uh, you know, weekly. I started off actually with twice a week conversations with all my staff. Um, Tuesdays and Fridays, just as we were working through what do we do, what happens to officers, what happens to pay, what happens if you get sick, who's paying for testing. You know, there's, there's thousands of things that suddenly people want to know about. And so we started off twice a week. We had weekly board meetings as well, just for an hour, just working through, you know, some of the issues. We also um, had to, you know, also get into discussing with our customers because, as you know, some of the customers are being hit you know, differently to other customers. And so uh, just managing with them to see how they wanted to go forward. Could they pay for the full service? Did they want a less service? Um, and uh, just managing that, that process. I mean, we were slightly fortunate in that, um, when I say fortunate, in, we had a year to practice. You know, we were pretty much uh, 10th of February last year thrown into, this, into a crisis. And there's a lot of change we had to make. And yeah, so yeah. going into COVID, we had pretty much practiced for a year. And so, you know, now I get daily cash flow, daily debtors, you know, things like that that I never used to get. Sure. Um, and uh, just makes it easier to run a business. Very interesting. And I, I want to touch on your customers just now because I find that very interesting because you're obviously, um, you know, running the operations technology-wise for many customers. But uh, it's good to hear from you as a, from a personal point of view on how you're running the company and I'm you know it's very encouraging to hear that you would having these weekly meetings um, and I'm often finding that in many organizations since the lockdown started kind of people haven't had any meetings it's you know you've just been working from home doing your thing and I think communication with your staff is is, is really key to running a smooth operation and keeping the cohesion uh, of the entire team working together um, is, is, is when you look at the EOH as an organization, how many people are uh, in EOH at the moment? And, and is everybody basically working remotely? What percentage of your team is remote at the moment? No, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we're about eight and a half thousand staff. 
Um, I'd say largely we're now working remotely, probably about 15% not. We were quite lucky being a technology customer that, I mean, company that even for our call centers, we could very quickly, you know, put them in the cloud, send them remotely, and yes. most people running from home. I mean, we did a survey uh, to see how people were feeling. Um, and it's slightly different to the, the, the survey that's happened in, in South Africa, but we did a, about 1,500 people responded. 50% never want to go back to work. I think that might change. Yeah, it might change as it gets longer. Um, 35% want to do hybrid, and only 15% wanted to go back. If you have a look at the big study that's been done, which is about 800,000 people, it's slightly different. And 35% don't want to go back. 50% uh, will go hybrid, and 15% uh, are saying they do want to go back. Some people, you know, just don't have the space at home to, to work. Jeez, that is so interesting. That, I mean, those, those numbers are absolutely fascinating. And, uh, and I think that when we, when we hear of the term, this is the, going to be the new normal, um, I know everybody uses that term, and I'm sick of hearing the new normal, but this is the reality of the new normal. Um, I mean, now that you've just discussed it, uh, you know, your, your customers and how they've adapted, it's, uh, you know, at the beginning of this crisis, uh, to kind of deploy so many people to work remotely, it seemed impossible, uh, you know, at the beginning of March when we heard that the shutdown is coming. But it, within a week, people found that it is possible and they made the impossible possible. And I'm sure that many companies are looking around their facilities and uh, the way they do things and saying, what else is impossible that we're doing? But uh, the companies that EOH services, um, I would imagine everyone has done pretty much what you've done, you know, everybody remotely. Uh, what was the biggest challenge in really getting everybody to work uh, remotely? Um, and, and I think that nobody kind of expected the connectivity to be so resilient um, and mm. people having notebooks and that sort of thing. So what were the challenges that you've experienced personally in your organization and some of your customers in getting everybody working remotely? Yes, so what was interesting, the first thing that I realized was, you know, before we had allowed people to zoom into uh, an exco or a board if they, were, you know, couldn't travel. The problem was is that 80% of the people were in the room and only 20% were zooming in. Once everyone zooms in, it works. Yes. And I think this is the biggest learning for, for me. So these meetings actually work. They're very efficient. But the biggest challenge was in the beginning was to get everyone reasonable connectivity. Um, and uh, if you know, even if you've got fiber to the home, if you don't have the bandwidth and your kids are zooming into school or they, you know, on Xbox or something like that, suddenly your Zoom calls don't work. So yes. for us, um, we were lucky in that a lot of our people already worked remotely because they go to customers' offices and that. So we actually have the ability to do two things. One is we've got a voice over RP, um, a telephone service. So um, you don't have to make phone calls. It can just go through the company's VPN. And the second thing is that we can actually manage your data so that uh, if we do give you data, you don't go and watch Netflix on it. We can actually see your productivity, see what you're using it for, and you know, limit it. So what happened to us was in the beginning, just getting enough dongles and SIM cards from the mobile companies was our biggest issue. Yes. Uh, but that was, you know, sorted out in the first 10 days. And as you know, um, they've been given a little bit of extra bandwidth. They also upped some of their 
their, their services because they, they knew it was coming. Um, and so that's been very helpful. So uh, that was the, the biggest issue. And then um, the second issue was whether people had up-to-date laptops that were actually able to do the video conferencing, had, had enough caching, enough memory, things like that. And we yeah. found those two things to be the biggest things for our customers. Because if you think about a call center, you know, you've got a screen that's up there that's bringing all sorts of data in so that when the call comes in, you can monitor and manage. Yes. So you have to stream, stream that into someone's home and then they still have to be able to do a video call in a call. Whereas when you're sitting in the office, you've got big fat pipes because you know you've built it specifically. Um, and so, you know, that's been... The third thing, I suppose, was a bit of redundancy. You know, when someone's sitting at home, they don't have the double or triple redundancy we have in our offices. And so making sure you could flick between users and, you know, create some uh, continuity. Um, and But you can do that all with technology today with cloud services and, and things like that. And then obviously the, the last thing is um, when you move everyone remotely, cybersecurity becomes a risk. And um, that I think a lot of people weren't... Uh, you know, totally ready for. And so that's been, you know, quite a big issue that we've had to help people deal with. Yes, and I think I'm glad you raised the cybersecurity issue because I think that that is certainly one thing uh, that we kind of haven't quite figured out yet, uh, you know, protecting the personal information of organizations and that sort of thing. Now that people are all working remotely and, and you know, you're hearing of numerous phishing attacks and that sort of thing. Uh, but I guess we will find a solution to that. But yeah, uh, cybersecurity is, is just a massive challenge for, a challenge for many organizations. Um, uh, do you think that, uh, what I'm hearing from you as well, Stephen, is that, uh, the lockdown has brought increased efficiencies to many organizations. I also get a sense that people are a lot more productive. And I think that companies are going to struggle to get people to go back to what they were doing before and how they were doing business before. Um, once this lockdown is done and dusted, uh, I don't think we will ever go to the way we were before. But what are the, the, the lessons for the ICT industry and what, what is going to change significantly uh, going forward once we move out of this crisis? So I, could, I think there was a few things. I mean, a lot of this was happening anyway. What COVID has done is to accelerate it. Yes. So we were already experimenting with um, remote working, with um, outcomes-based pay rather than just a standard salary. Um, so these things are going to become far more, you know, um, um, normal going forward where people will work, you know, you'll work 365 days a year, 24-7, but when you want to, because you just got to get the work done. And so things like um, offices, instead of obviously having, uh, you know, the, the hot desking, which you can't have anymore, I think, you know, like our offices will move into we work type spaces. So just because your unit is in four ways and you live in Pretoria doesn't mean you have to come to four ways every day. You can go, if you have to go in the office, you can go into one of our offices in, in Pretoria. You can go on an app, you can book a space. It will charge you for the space. You go there for the day. If there's a specific meeting you need to come through to four ways on, you can come through, you know, for that two hour period and, you know, and go home. So the, the whole traffic patterns I think will, will change. I think people have really enjoyed not having to spend two hours a day in traffic, yeah. having 
flexi time to do family stuff, whether it's just exercise or whether it's help your kid with homework. Whereas when you had to get up in the morning, drop them at school, go to the office, come at five, six o'clock, you miss all of that. Yes. So this sort of mixed use day, if I want to call it, is uh, I think it's going to be very hard for people to to change because they've suddenly seen the benefits of it and your family's seen the benefits of it as well. Oh, interesting what you say, Stephen. I mean, um, you, you're spot on. I actually found myself working a lot harder at the beginning of the lockdown. And I think it's just about achieving that balance. Um, are you finding yourself working harder now in this current environment than you were before? Or did it start off like that, like with me, and you're kind of reaching some sort of balance right now? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, in the beginning, clearly you were, you were running hard because there were a lot of things you had to do. You know, we, we put in some cost cutting and some salary cuts and there's lots of stuff to go through to do it. So you were running quite hard. And what I found very quickly is you didn't have the normal leave work to go home because work was at home. And if you weren't careful, you'd just carry on working the whole time. So what we tried to do was, um, um, in the beginning, because you uh, exercise was that window from six to nine, we only started work at nine. So that became the new norm. Yeah, yeah. You start work at nine, make sure you do your exercise, do whatever, get your kids on the TV. And the second thing is they've been um, um, quite keen on is that everyone puts in half an hour for lunch so that you at least have these breaks. Otherwise, it just becomes back to back to back and um, you never actually take rests. And I think you're exactly right. As we've gone through it, you've started now managing your time better and um, making sure you split some work with some you know, time off. And I think it's absolutely critical. Because yeah. if, if you think about it, normally by now, we would have had an Easter holiday, we would have had a long weekend in May, and we would have had you know, school half term. Most of us have, you know, haven't been on holiday at all. We've just been working flat out. And so I don't think that's very good generally for you know the mental health of uh, of of uh, anyone yeah no i agree with you but listen i mean um, you touched on your results earlier and the results have been really uh, very encouraging your share price is reflecting this uh, there's no doubt that you probably took over the most, uh, the toughest uh, uh, trading conditions of an organization, um, you know, since you've taken over. What, is, is it two years already, Stephen, that you've been there? 18 months. It feels like two years, but yeah. it's actually only been 18 months. 18 months. Eh? So, so yeah. I mean, in the 18 months that you've been there, there's been tremendous change. Uh, you've had to deal with many different challenges, but have, has ELH turned the corner? Uh, your share price is certainly reflecting to that. Uh, where... Where to next from EOH? Can you give us a, a picture, a snapshot of the organization and where you see the next 18 months going? Yeah, I think, Aki, the, the key thing and uh, why we saw that uh, you know, share price reaction was at half year, it was the first half year in the three that have been there that we were actually cash positive in operations. Um, and so we didn't get as much uh, a, a credit for that but then we did another quarter that was cash positive again. And that allowed us to pay the banks the first tranche of, of the renegotiated debt back, you know, two months early. What is which, that? 500, uh, 540 million or something. It's a, it's yeah. a lot of money, eh? We had to pay 500 uh, by the end of July. We paid 540 at the end of May. Okay. So, you know, that was good. I mean, you know, we, we have been quite good. I mean, when I got there in September 2018, we had 4.1 billion of debt. We now have 2.6 of, of um, a billion of debt and 900 of cash. 
So we're not out the woods, but clearly in a very, very different space from a year ago. And I think that was the main reaction was the fact we've managed to keep our cash you know, balance is constant. We, we've started generating cash from operations, which obviously makes a huge difference to your debt. And uh, while revenue was a little bit, um, you know, softer than originally budgeted, um, we have managed to manage that within the business because of all the changes that we were making, the efficiency and, and that. So it was, I think, just nice to do it again. So as I said, we're not out the woods, but at least I can see the light at yes. the end and we know where we're going. So the next 18 months is, is going to be twofold. One is we've just concluded our first bottom-up budgeting process or strategy process. So everyone in the business gave input and it's been amazing as people have realized how much IP we actually have across the business because otherwise they operated in, in silos. As, as I always said, we were 272 speedboats wow. with no two-way communication. We're now heading towards probably 20 um, frigates or destroyers, you know, with, with communication and uh, with the same plan. And I think that's brought out almost a change in culture as people realize how much cross business unit opportunity there is. And you've seen, you know, we've, we, we've developed something like 70 COVID-19 solutions for back to work, managing the hospitals, things like that. And we could never have done that before, but now people are working together and, and not reinventing the wheel. So the first thing I have to do is by this time next year, we should have recapitalized and restructured the business through the final sales and, you know, the bits and pieces of money coming through and then refinancing this um, fairly onerous debt package that we we've got at the moment and then from there on we can start taking um, advantage of some of the consolidation in the industries that's going to happen and also the fact that with our, our Egypt business and our South African business we've got a real cost advantage into Europe and the Middle East because just our salaries are lower fact same yes. education but we can operate at probably 65 percent of of the cost and the second thing that we've got that that differentiates us is we have a very end-to-end -end service. No one in South Africa has got the end-to-end -end capability that we've got. So when you think about the future of the ICT industry, um, it's about solutioning. Uh, it's about going into the C-suite and coming up with a solution, not just being asked to come and give a service. Uh, and when you're doing those, that solutioning, you need to be product agnostic. You need to understand the whole stack and then you be you can solution around it give the, the customer the bigger um, best outcome but also you need to use that ip to build platforms so that you can build it once use a thousand times and that's when you scale and when you scale your marginal cost for your next customer become you know tends to zero and that's the best uh, um i suppose um um Manage. blockage for yeah. other people who, you know come into the industry yeah. And um, this is what we, we need to do going forward. And, and this is important for the SMEs and the mid-caps because they can't afford to have full-service end-to-end ICT teams. So they want to buy a solution like Facebook. You don't care what the technology is. You just want it to work. It's right. like your electricity. You don't know what technology sits in the ESCOM boilers and, and um, power stations. You just want to walk and switch it on and it works. And this is where the ICT industry is going at the moment.
Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But I'm sure the economy must worry you as well. When you look at where we are and you look at our growth rate, you look at the next uh, you know, five to 10 years, it doesn't look very good for South Africa. Um, however, having said that, I, I do think that if, if, if we do uh, look at things optimistically and we have the right things that we put in place with the right leadership, et cetera, et cetera, we can really grow this economy uh, and take it to different levels. I mean, you mentioned your business in Egypt, for example. I mean, Egypt up until the lockdown was, you know, had a 5.5% growth rate. So we, we can do it. So what is your um, thinking about our economy and how are we going to get this economy going again? So there's a, there's a few things, Aki, because obviously there are going to be different sectors going to be um, affected differently. And so, you know, you can think about the motor industry, uh, you can think about hospitality, tourism, property. They're going to really have to think differently about how they operate because, uh, you know, people have less non-essential cash, as I call it, and they'll reprioritize re spending into things like insurance, healthcare, you know, going forward. So I think, um, you know, this is a massive opportunity for South Africa to do, you know, whatever you want to call it, this radical economic transformation. And the only way you do it is you need to get to the bottom of the pyramid and you need to make sure that they have a reasonable equal opportunity, they get included. And that's a number of things. One of them is obviously access to healthcare. One of them is going to be access to housing. One of them is going to be... Um, access to education, and I think that's the most important one. And I mean, all of us have learned if you've got access to data and you've got access to a device, there's great um, um, quality educational um, ability and no one should you know, not have that. And I wrote a piece the other day just about, you know, we give people um, a basic amount of electricity and a basic amount of water free. I still don't understand why they don't get a basic amount of data free um, because it's, it's a national asset. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, you know, um, mobile money globally has exploded, especially in the developing world, because banks were always built for the affluent. And so for them to really go into the bottom of the pyramid is not possible. You know, you can't turn a Ferrari into a Toyota, but you can make a Toyota but faster by souping it up, if you know what I mean. Yes. And so um, um, we the only way you're going to really get the general population um, um, socially included and financially included is to come up with a way that uh, they can be banked on a cost, on, on, on a much lower cost basis. And mobile money has been that uh, solution. And what it does then it gives them access to many things. It gives them access to financial services, you know, short-term lending, um, um, insurance products, et cetera. And I learned a lot about that when I was at MTN in, in, in the past. And then you get into the ability for people to pay remotely for access to education. They can, you know, buy a device over time. Uh, and these new low-cost low um, devices that are coming out we need to get ahead of that so that uh, we get our education up to the right level, make people productive and allow them to re-platform re or re-educate re themselves continually. Because this is what uh, the, the fourth industrial revolution is doing. You know, yes. your past is almost like no predictor of your future. And yeah. so you've got to keep 
updating yourself to make yourself relevant. And the only way to do that is is uh, um, informally, if I can put it that way. That's uh, really interesting. You unlock a lot of value in the economy by doing what you just said. And uh, finally, Stephen, um, uh, what has been your aha moment uh, in the last three months during this lockdown? I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think. Maybe you've read a good book. Uh, has Stephen Collar, uh, Stephen von Collar, the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of EOH, had an aha moment in the last three months? Yeah, I, I think the, the thing that, that, that's really sort of come true to me is that nothing is impossible. And uh, you can't, you know, that, that old adage of Albert Einstein, you know, you can't achieve different results by doing the same thing every day. You've got to change something. And I think everyone has realized that actually we can do remote working. Actually, we can have flexible lives. Actually, we can work and spend time with our families. Um, and, you know, we can um, live a much lower cost life just by doing things differently. So for me, the, the biggest aha moment is to continue pushing that different thinking uh, if you need a solution. You know, never think it's impossible because it is always a, a possible. I think Nelson Mandela said something about it. Yes. Always seems impossible until it's done. Yes. And I mean, I think that for me is my my total aha you know moment. Never give up on something that you think you need to do because you'll find a way to do it if you have to. Stephen von Koller, Chief Executive of EOH. Thank you for joining us on the My Broadband channel and thank you for your insights in uh, the What's Next series. We wish you the best going forward and uh, thank you very much for your time, Stephen von Koller. Thanks, Aki. Okay.